Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, um, good evening, everybody. It's uh, it's a huge privilege to be here at the Worldwide Missionary Convention. As I was just introduced, this is my home uh, congregation. And uh, I'd like to say on behalf of Hamilton Road how lucky we are. It's fantastic to have this here uh, for us. And this convention has been a significant part of my Christian life. Uh, for, for several years, when I was a teenager, um, I had to do the sound for the convention. I was putting a little desk down there with a rickety old sound desk. The pulpit mic, they needed somebody to run the pulpit mic. I think the, the convention ran all the other mics, but the pulpit mic needed me. And so I was on a wee desk over there for several years. If you were in the convention sometime in the early 80s and couldn't hear a thing, uh, then that was probably my fault. But night after night, I heard stories of what the Lord was doing all over the world, and it stirred my heart. And I have to say, especially, it's fantastic to be here on a night about mission in Africa, because that's where I really felt the Lord's call to go. And I just knew deep in my heart, as I heard those stories year after year, that that's where I was going. There was no other choice. It's a special privilege to share this pulpit tonight with Conrad and Bewe. Um, for those of you who speak Chinyanja or Chichewa, you will know that Mbewe means rat. Uh, for those of you who are well-schooled in ancient Gaelic, you will also know that Kennedy probably means uh, ugly head. <laughs> I'm sure none of these things are true. Anyway. Fast forward 15 years or so, and the geeky teenager that used to be down there has become a geeky adult, been trained as a children's doctor, married Sarah, who's my first wife, and set off in 1997 with our eight-month-old son to Mbangweni Mission Hospital in Malawi. It's three hours north of the capital, uh, 30 kilometres off the tarmac road, close to the Zambian border, actually, with no mains, electric or phone. Uh, We were there for five years. Sarah was teaching in a mission school, building a guest house, doing all the other things that missionary wives do, basically everything. And I was doing what you might expect a missionary doctor to do, working in a rural hospital, Uh, The only doctor for miles for much of my time there, having to do everything and living right at the heart of an Angoni community who taught me many things, but despite their good efforts, just could not teach me to dance. (laughs) And it was in Mbangweni that I began to meet medical students who were coming to us in placement from the newly opened medical school in the south of Malawi in Blantyre. And I thought these guys were incredible. They were motivated, they were enthusiastic, they were able, they wanted to help out, they wanted to work in rural areas. And I began to think and to pray, well, look, you know, is the Lord calling me not just to to practice medicine, but to teach medicine and to train doctors rather than provide that service myself? Well, fast forward another few years and more training in medical education for me and a few years under my belt as a clinical academic in Queens in Belfast, and I returned to Malawi in 2008 to work for the College of Medicine in Blantyre. Um, I'd still only got one wife. I was a bit of a failure as an Ngoni. Um, But my my job was to teach paediatrics, children's medicine, and Sarah was teaching in an international primary school. College of Medicine is Malawi's only medical school. 
16 million people live in Malawi, but there's less than one doctor for every 50,000 people. If you do the maths, if Northern Ireland was like Malawi, there would be 32 doctors for the entire country. There's probably more than 30 doctors in this room if we looked around. We worked here in Blantyre, the big bustling African city, a million people. And I worked and taught in Malawi's largest government hospital on a crazy busy ward uh, dealing with children with malaria, TB, HIV, malnutrition or all of the above. And those are diseases that I expose you would expect me to be thinking about and talking about tonight. But tonight I, I do want to talk to you about another problem experienced by Malawi's children that the Lord led us into working with. And I'm going to show you some pictures and I want to assure you The pictures of the children I will show you either come from people who have consented for those pictures or we've changed their faces and put in somebody else's picture. And you'll understand when I show you these. This is Frank. Frank was 12. He's 12. He came to the hospital because of malaria. And we saw that little scratch in the back of his hand. And then one of my doctor colleagues lifted his back. And that's what we'd found. He'd been whipped by his uncle, because he'd lost his school exercise book. Turned out later he was also repeatedly sexually abused at home. And this is Samuel, or this is Samuel's chest x-ray. I think this might be the first. Has the Worldwide Missionary Convention ever had a chest x-ray shown up? (laughs) This is Samuel's chest x-ray. He's three. He turned up in November because of its signs of infection in his heart. And you can see the cause of that infection on that chest x-ray, if you look carefully, because those white little bars are sewing needles pushed into his chest, into his heart, and into his lungs through his ribcage. A witch doctor had told his dad that if he wanted to be rich, he had to kill Samuel by putting needles into him. And somehow the wee fella survived and turned up. And just two months ago, a few weekdays actually before I was getting ready to leave, I was asked to see a girl like this. This isn't her at all. It's just a picture of somebody else. But four teenage girls actually I was asked to talk about. The youngest was 12 and the oldest was 18. They'd been brought to us by police who had found the youngest working in a bar in Blantyre as a prostitute, the 12-year-old. All four had been trafficked from their families, brought to the big city on the promise that, you know, life could be better, education, get into school, but basically they'd been sold, kept as sex slaves by a local bar owner. The oldest girl, the one who was 18, she'd been there for five years. All of those girls, all four of them, were HIV positive. None of them were on treatment. A recent study in Malawi showed that one in five girls is sexually abused by the age of 16. One in 20 will be raped, often by somebody that they know, often at home or at school. And this is in a country where one in 10 adults is still HIV positive. The rates are coming down, but it's still a very prevalent infection. 60% of all the children have been physically abused to the extent that they've had marks or wounds that have stayed for several days or stopped them going to school for a few days. Now, how do you deal with stuff like that in a country with little in the way of social services where child protection services are still in their infancy, where there are no places of safety, where there's no counsellors in the hospital to go to, when the police often won't help you without some, uh, let's be, call it nicely, financial encouragement? How do you keep those children 
safe from further abuse? And where do you start? And perhaps even more profoundly for us as Christian people, what does that say about the gospel and its impact on the nation of Malawi? Putting it bluntly, has the gospel failed in some way? The gospel first came to Malawi with Livingston and the missions that followed his death over 150 years ago, and nearly 80% of people in Malawi claim to be Christians. Churches are growing fast. But has behavior changed? Has widespread acceptance of the gospel resulted in widespread righteous behavior? Maybe a glance at those child abuse statistics would suggest that it hasn't. I wonder if you've ever encountered anybody suffering from MMS, moaning missionary syndrome. It's a common ailment in Malawi. We have a men's prayer meeting every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock on our condi on our balcony in Malawi. And if you're ever in Blantyre, that prayer meeting's still going on. You feel free to attend as long as you're a man. And about, about half of the folk who attend that are full-time Christian workers of some kind. And a, and a common feature of that meeting is moaning, complaining about how difficult it is to get local churches to be more interested in mission than the size of the pastor's house or how corrupt or sexually immoral their elders are, or how few medical students want to serve the rural poor, whatever. MMS has many manifestations. And there's a variant that you might have seen closer to home, that's MPS, moaning pastor syndrome. For those of us suffering from MMS, nothing seems to improve, nothing seems to change, nothing seems to get better. And sadly, it's an infectious disease, because it's easy to be infected by pessimism and discouragement. But don't the moaners have a point Wouldn't you expect that with so many Christians, and after all this time, things in Malawi could be a bit better? Not just regard to child abuse, which I'm talking about tonight, but in regard to all sorts of things. Still so much sexual immorality or corruption or fear of witchcraft in a country where nearly everybody goes to church, where nearly every meeting begins with a prayer in the government or wherever, where children are taught to memorize huge chunks of scripture. Well, MMS... Frustration with the lack of change isn't a new disease. And the Apostle Paul deals with just this paradox, this incongruity between who we are and who we will become in Christ in so many places in the New Testament. And uh, I'd like to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There's a Bible in your pew, and if you look at it, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, really familiar words. Um, looking at verse 6 through to 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Skip through there to verse 16. So, says Paul, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If I was in Africa, that would be a huge amen there. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Excellent. It's, it's familiar, isn't it? But I want you to, I'm going to read it, the last few verses, verses 7 to 9, from Eugene Patterson's paraphrase, the message. So I think this, this makes that passage maybe a little bit more hit home. He says this, if you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God, isn't it? Jesus' first recorded words in Mark proclaim the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, but he also taught us to pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we as followers of Jesus Christ live in this now, but not yet of his kingdom a kingdom that is both a present reality and a future hope. And we experience that in the ambiguities and contrasts and messed up world of everyday Christian experience that Paul sets out for us here in Corinthians, of treasure in clay pots, of weakness and power, of persecution and protection, of decay and renewal, of affliction and glory, of death and resurrection. So back to our question. When we look at Malawi and ask, has the gospel failed? Paul would want us to take a step back and look at the big picture and remind us just where God has placed that wonderful message of the gospel. He reminds us where God's kingdom has come. Verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine where? In our hearts. He's entrusted this gospel message and his outworking of his kingdom to us into the darkness of our hearts. Speaking personally, I'm thinking about my heart. Frankly, I think the Lord could have chosen a much better place to put it. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthenware, clay pots every day, easily broken, perhaps a bit leaky. That's where he's planted the seed of his kingdom. When I began work in Blantyre, it was a shock to be asked to treat young girls that had been raped. Ten-year-old Malumbo, repeatedly abused by her stepdad, night after night at home. No one to listen to her cries for help. Her mum knew what was going on, but she was terrified that she and her daughter would be kicked out of their home, made destitute if she raised the alarm. Or eight-year-old Chikondi, pulled into a maize field on her way home from school and raped by a man that she'd never seen before. Malawi, like many African countries, has seen an epidemic of sexual abuse presenting to hospitals over the last 10 years. 
Not that that abuse is a new phenomenon, but the fear of contracting HIV through that abuse is new. And it's driving thousands of women and girls and boys to disclose what they once would have kept hidden and seek treatment to prevent themselves from getting HIV. Now, back in 2009, we were seeing about 20 girls like that a month, and we could do well to prevent their HIV, prevent their, sort their medical needs out, but we had no way of protecting them from further harm or to help them heal the deep psychological wounds they'd suffered. No contact with police, no contact with social welfare, no counsellors, no effective child protection system existed in Malawi, and what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you see these people come day after day after day and the number's just growing? Well, to be honest with you, it didn't seem very much I could do. But as I mentioned, part of my job is to teach, to teach medical students, and I thought, well, I could do that. Part of the advantage of working in the government system, as a missionary, but tied very much into the government system, is that perhaps you're a little bit closer to the levers of power than you would be in a mission hospital. So I asked UNICEF to help provide an overview of their child protection work in Malawi to our medical students. They graciously agreed. When the UNICEF leadership heard what we were seeing, they were horrified. They organized a big high-level meeting with the heads of social welfare and police and justice across the country. And during that meeting, I met, for the first time, people who would become my colleagues in police and social welfare. We decided to try and work together to deal holistically with the cases that we saw. And I remember our first meeting. Um, it's going to start left to right here. Um, uh, your left, Emmanuel Kulungu, is a, a lowly constable in Blantyre Police. He's a member of the African Evangelical Church. Salif Chikambutsu, the next one, he's a social worker. At that time, he was just out of school. He'd only qualified a few months. He's a committed Catholic. Uh, the next one is Tandu Zimba. She's a barely trained volunteer from a Pentecostal church. She just wanted to help as a counsellor. And then me, you probably worked out which one I was. I'm, I'm just an ordinary, regular paediatrician. I'm no special particular expertise in child protection work. I'm Presbyterian, but with a very small P. So that was it. That was it. Malawi's first multidisciplinary, multidenominational, amen, child protection team. I remember thinking, this is nuts. This is madness. What can we realistically do? We haven't got funds to phone each other, fuel to go on home visits, no places of safety for abused families or women or nothing. What are we doing, Lord? Clay pots. But why does God put his treasure into clay pots? Verse 7 says this. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we prayed. As a team, we prayed. We prayed we would do the best that we could, and lots of other folk prayed too. And gradually, we worked out how to work together, and through trial and lots of error, we started to see some results. A few children protected, some conviction of perpetrators, some counselling. And just four years after we met for that first time, as a team of inexperienced, inept, and clueless individuals, clay pots, the president of Malawi came to Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital to open Malawi's first one-stop centre to care and protect for women and children caught up in sexual violence. And that model of working together that we messed about and found out by mistake, lots of errors, was adopted by the Ministry of Health. It's in the health plan for the last four years, and the Ministry of Social Welfare is national policy now. 
Four other large one-stop centres have been built across the country. 27 district health teams have been trained. And just looking at our team now, I'm amazed and astonished at what the Lord has done. Thank you. Because we have a team of community child protection workers, a nurse, a clinical officer who sees nearly all the cases. I hardly ever see anybody anymore. Social worker, network of policemen, a whole team now of trained volunteer counsellors still from a local church. They're the only people in this whole operation who aren't paid. Everybody else is paid by the government. It's the church who are providing the volunteer counsellors who aren't paid. And I see these folk working with children and their families to deal with the trauma that they suffered. I see them pursue cases that corrupt policemen have dropped. I see nearly 30% now of all of our cases end with a conviction. I see people going into schools and raising awareness. I see them held up as examples of best practice nationally and regionally. Tandu's team, uh, the the councillor there, she's just been awarded a grant to provide counsellors to every one-stop centre across the country. And God willing, she's about to get another grant to provide paralegal services in every one too. All of that in the space of about seven years. That's amazing. We teach and we train. This is Dr. Yabwili Malambia. On the left, if you're very clever, you'd see her in the middle of a picture as a student doctor. That was one of her last days as a student We were a member of a Christian medical fellowship team uh, on a mission trip that we did to a local mission uh, to provide some health care. That's her on the right there now. She's been trained by us as a consultant paediatrician and she's taken over from me as leader of the child protection team. I think it's fair to say that some of the clay pots are are maybe a bit better made than other clay pots. But anyway, (laughs) didn't know where I could get away with that joke. There's two errors, I think, that can befall us as we live with this tension of living in the now, but not the the not yet of the kingdom. The first is to focus too much on the not yet at the expense of the now, because that leads to triumphalism and to mindless optimism, to ignoring our vulnerabilities and blindly believing that we can have all the blessings of heaven now. And and this perhaps, and I'm really aware I'm generalizing, so, so please do take this with a pinch of salt or ask Conrad if it thinks it's true, but in in my view, that's the error or perhaps the biggest threat to the Malawian church because it shows itself in dependency on donors or an addiction to, to miraculous supernatural intervention as a way to solve all the problems, just like that. It's shown in particularly in the growth of prosperity teaching, which is rampant in nearly every denomination. Over the last few years, under the influence of so-called prophets and apostles or um, man of God, these people with big, big titles, Christians in Malawi, on TV, are taught to look for the quick fix. The person who put, that's a still from a a TV show, that a guy tried to put uh, TVs in every ward in our hospital so that he could show this stuff. Um, uh, uh, Conrad refers to it as junk. I could use other words, but anyway, there is terrible stuff that's being preached to people, needy people. Come to this meeting, say this prayer, give some money, and all will be well, instantly. And there's less emphasis on putting in the hard work or facing the daily grind of dealing with sin or its effects on the world. To be honest with you, it's a bit like going to the witch doctor, but now he's in church and not in the village. 
Yes, there is so much to rejoice about in the Malawian church, the growth, the vibrancy of worship, the openness to evangelism. It's fantastic, but there's just not enough emphasis still on true discipleship and sanctification. You can focus too much on the not yet. But the other error is the one that I think perhaps we are more prone to in the Western church, and that's to focus too much on the Nile at the expense of the not yet. And it manifests itself in that moaning missionary syndrome, a deep pessimism that makes us want to give up or perhaps never even to try in the first place because the problem just looks too big. John Stott said that discouragement is the chief occupational hazard of every Christian ministry. We emphasize the troubles and difficulties. We struggle to build systems to fix them. We become disheartened when they fail and we lose sight of what God is doing in us, in history and in the world. We get caught up in the reality of the problems that we see around us because they look too big. And we have failed to affirm the reality that our God reigns and that he is bigger, that in Jesus the kingdom has come, and that with our God all things are possible. Because yes, there is a now, and it's real, and it's horrible, and now where children are abused, and no one listens to them or cares for them or protects them, or even better, prevents it from happening. But my testimony tonight is that in Jesus Christ there is also a glorious not yet that is just as real, and so much of that not yet can be now if we trust our Lord to give it to us. Do not underestimate how much of the not yet can be now. Those four girls I talked to you about kept as sex slaves. Well, now three of them are back living with their families after some time in a Christian foster home. All of them are getting HIV care. The perpetrator's been convicted and sent to prison. One of the girls, the eldest one, she found it just too difficult to adjust, and she's gone back to being a prostitute, earning easy money, and gone back to the street. She is not yet safe, but I know that one day she could be. So I will not lose heart. And this is um, Samuel, the boy with the needles in his chest, who by prayer got an offer, amazing offer of surgery in India to remove the needles from his heart, and after two months of intensive care is now safe and thriving. This is what our God still does. In the darkness of our hearts, God has made his light to shine. And in the jars of clay, the king has placed his treasure to show his all-surpassing power. So when we grow frustrated that things aren't as we would want them to be, when we get discouraged by the size of the challenge that faces us or the slow pace of change, and why isn't things changing? What does Paul say to us? Verse Verse 16, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, on what could be in the Lord. Our centre now sees 40 or 50 girls a month. There's a centre in Lusaka, where Conrad's coming from, that see 120 girls a month. And we know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. And that there's a long, long way to go. We need more and better trained social workers. We need governments to provide day-to-day running costs. 
All of our staff are government employees and receive their salary from their line ministries, but, but line ministries don't do very well for phone calls and fuel and interdisciplinary working very well. We need more supervisors who can visit and mentor the newly trained teams and help them. We need to work out a way of getting care into the most rural areas, and perhaps most of all, we need a proper national thought-out strategy on how to prevent gender-based violence in Malawi in the first place so that our young Malawian men learn how to treat girls with the dignity and respect that they have been given. Yes, there are still so many things to do, but we don't lose hearts because we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen and what could be. I love the first line of the hymn that we sang a bit of this morning, or just a few minutes ago. Houghton's great hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished That Drives Us to Our Checkbook. No. It Drives Us to Our Passport. No. It Drives Us to Our. I'm in Africa. It Drives Us to Our Knees. So, will you pray with me that in Malawi, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Will you give thanks for the church in Malawi for its growth and optimism and vitality? And will you pray for Malawian missionaries to take the good news to people groups who still have to hear, the large, unrich people group, the Yao? Will you pray for faithful Bible teachers who will stand up and speak out against the heresy of the prosperity gospel that is robbing the church of her power? Will you pray for Malawian believers to learn to put to death the sins that grip so many, the immorality, the corruption, the fear of witchcraft, and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Will you pray for people like Yabwile or Tandu who are providing such a good service for the same children that we were talking about and that the Lord would keep them strong and full of compassion and hope and that they wouldn't lose heart seeing so much suffering every day? Would you pray for the College of Medicine where I worked, that it would train competent, compassionate and committed doctors who are prepared to work in difficult-to-reach and underpaid areas? And would you pray for the government of Malawi and agencies like UNICEF that have taken on this challenge of child protection but is still such a long way to go? Fix your eyes on what could be, on what is unseen, on what is not yet, And pray or give or go, but please do not lose heart. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.